0: Well, Merry Christmas, hopefully ladies, cookies, or guys, we bake cookies, turn out better than hers. Uh, we're in a series, this is week three of three, about who needs Christmas. We talked about the world needed Christmas, then we talked about last week, thought it was pretty interesting that God needed Christmas, needed an opportunity to demonstrate in the physical world how much he loved us. And today's topic, of course, is that we do, you and I need Christmas. So I want to start off with a question. And here's the question. So how did the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, come about? I'm glad you asked. And Matthew's glad you asked because we have four accounts of the life of Christ. The first one is Matthew. And Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. And he hung out with Jesus. And when he's writing this account, he answers the question right in the beginning. And we call it chapter one. He said, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Now we're going to do a little bit of uh, uh, word entomology this morning. Um, who knows? Messiah is a, is a, is a, is a um, Hebrew word. Who knows what the Greek or uh, English equivalent is for the word Messiah? If you're in the first service, don't answer. Who knows? Nobody knew in the first service either. That's interesting. Nobody knows? All right, it's Christ, all right? So if you say Messiah, it's the same thing as saying Christ. You say Christ, same thing as Messiah. One is Hebrew, one is actually Greek or English, all right? Uh, This is how Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ was born. Now, Some people in our society don't understand that. Some people think that Christ is Jesus' last name. So we got Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and Jesus Christ. But Christ is not a name, it's a title, like Messiah. So while we're talking about names and words, let's look at this word, Jesus, all right? Uh, Now, Jesus is an anglicized or English word for uh, the Hebrew word, anybody know what the Hebrew word is? Yeshua, okay? Because Hebrew has no J's. All right, so the Hebrew word is Yeshua. And probably you've heard somebody in church along the way somewhere used to say Yeshua and you thought they were showing off, right? <laughs> but that's really the name, uh, the Hebrew word for Jesus. It's the same word translated for Joshua or Jesus, which is going to be important in a minute when we get there it's kind of strange saying Yeshua loves me this I know doesn't it just doesn't have the right tone or the right ring <clears throat> so but who was Joshua then those some of you have been in church for a while or most people know about walls of Jericho coming down right so Joshua was a warrior king he was a fighter he was a soldier and he led the Israelites into what they called the promised land and we would call Israel now or or Canaan all right so he was a a soldier he was a fighter right <clears throat> so when we read the word jesus we can translate it joshua or we can translate it yes you are right but in particular joshua meaning warrior all right so let's go on with what matthew had to tell us about the birth of jesus this is how jesus the messiah or or the christ was born his mother mary was engaged to be married to joseph now their culture is quite different than ours At the age of maybe 12, you were engaged, 12 or 13. So parents, you didn't have to deal with all that drama for teenagers because by the time they were 12, they were engaged. And so all that dating stuff and all that stuff was was over with. You didn't necessarily get married then, but by 14. If you were 15 or 16 and not at least engaged, there was a problem or your family thought there was a a problem. So Mary was quite young and she was engaged, to this guy named Joseph, right? But before the marriage took place... While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the problem. This was a no-no in their culture, right? Uh, you had sex before marriage, you got pregnant. This was, in fact, according to the Old Testament, what would happen to you if that was the, was the case? What could the people do? Stone you to death, right? This was a stonable offense. This was, you could die for this, all right? By the time of Jesus, this was no longer enforced, all right? This is also an Old Testament thing where you could stone your teenagers if they talk back to your parents. All right, so they didn't enforce some of these laws in the Old Testament. And this is one they you could not stone somebody. You had to actually go get permission from a a government official or whatever. So you couldn't literally do it. But the law said you could. Now here's the other thing, though. Can you imagine being her parents or being Joseph and, you know, she's 13 years old and she comes to you. Um... Just like to let you know, got mom and dad and Joseph, I'm pregnant, but you don't have to worry about it because there was no guy involved. It, it's, you know, God's the father. Now, if you're the parents, or Joseph, what are you thinking? Okay, we love you, but uh, you got a little bit missing upstairs, and uh, we feel sorry for you. You're certainly not going to stone somebody in that condition, are you? You don't stone crazy people. And so, that's... Joseph and the family's dilemma, especially Joseph, as the story is written here. So he's got this, he's engaged basically to a crazy woman. He's thinking, um, imagine he's thinking. So the story goes on. To whom she was engaged, uh, Joseph was a righteous man. I mean, he, he was a religious guy. He tried to follow the law. He tried to do what was right. He tried to be kind, right? So. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, that wouldn't be a nice thing to do, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He could go to a priest and say, hey, you know, this family's crazy, this woman's crazy, it's just a mess, and I just want to get out of this, I don't want to make a big deal out of it, so can you just give me a divorce? Actually, he had to get a divorce. So that's what he's thinking, and most of us would probably have done the same thing, right? Story goes on. As he was considering this, yeah, I'll go to the priest, get a you know, quietly get a divorce from, from this lady. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. Now that's important. He was from Abraham down through David and now through Joseph. Uh, uh, yeah, Joseph. He is a, this, uh, that holy line, right? That's important when you talk about the Messiah. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Okay, this is a little complicated. She seems to be crazy, but don't be afraid that she's crazy. And you're marrying a crazy woman. And, you know, your reputation is going to be ruined. and Your life's going to be ruined. Just just relax. You don't have to be afraid. Don't worry. Because the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really important. If you were a Jew living in in the days of Jesus... You didn't, listen to me, you didn't expect a virgin birth. Messiah, virgin birth, they did not go together. Son of David, Messiah, yes. But they were expecting the the father to be a son of David, a descendant of David. Not some immaculate conception. It wasn't God. They, had, they didn't have this concept. It wasn't part of their theology. Even though Matthew quotes a te- a Isaiah, we looked at that last week, where it says a virgin will be, you know, with child. That word in the Hebrew is not really virgin. It just means a young woman that's not married, okay? And so no Jew expected the Messiah to come from a virgin birth. It's actually worse than that. <clears throat> Anybody study Greek mythology in school? I thought it was pretty cool. You know, Zeus and Hercules and all that stuff. I used to, uh, to read that stuff. The Greeks had this theology where gods like Zeus would mate with human women, right? And have t- children. So, who was the father of Hercules, supposedly? Nobody said this. Anyway, <laughs> Zeus was supposedly the father of Hercules. All right. Who was the father of uh, Helen of Troy, for example? Supposedly. Again, it was Zeus. So, this was pagan, this was Greek religion, Greek theology, was that gods mated with women. So, as a Jew, that would be the furthest thing from your mind, because that was pagan. That wasn't Judaism, that wasn't, uh, you know, that theology. So, it doesn't help the story, does it? In fact, most of your friends that, that you have, relatives you have, that really don't buy all this Christmas deal, what is their biggest pushback? There was virgin birth. Exactly, right? So it doesn't help the story. It certainly didn't help the story for a first century Jew. So why is it in there? I can only think of one answer. Because it happened. Right? Because it was true. And besides, once the early church got started, people didn't go around saying, hey, I'm a Jesus follower because he was born of a virgin. You can't find that in there, can you? What was the critical issue for the, the, the early church and even for us today? That he died and resurrection. Right. Now, if you have problems with the virgin birth, you probably have trouble with the resurrection. But if you believe in a creator God, either, neither one of these things Is a big deal, right? Create the universe, you can do a virgin birth, resurrection, whatever. So, this is the situation. Virgin birth, only reason it's in there must have happened, because it certainly doesn't help the story. And Matthew goes on, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua. For he will save his people from. All right, Messiah is going to come. A thousand years of Israelites have been waiting for the Messiah to come to save them from what? Their oppressors. From their, those that, that had conquered them. They'd been the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and now the Romans that conquered them. And what they were waiting for, and even Jews today are waiting for, is a messiah to deliver them from their oppressors in this case it would be the romans so if i'm joseph and the angel's talking to me and he says this jesus the messiah the christ is going to come and save his people yeah i know from the romans right wrong (laughs) their sins their sins again i'm Projecting. If I'm Joseph, I, we don't need saving from our sin. That's not a felt need we have. That doesn't even enter our mind when we think of the Messiah. You know, some of you have studied psychology. I haven't, but the old Maslow felt needs things. You know, basic, you know, m- need I have is for food, clothing, and shelter. If I get that need met, my next greatest need <clears throat> is to have security. And, and if I get that met, my next need is for for community and, and to be felt loved and get that need met. The next is for self-esteem. Sin isn't in the pillar or the triangle any place, is it? That's not our felt need. Besides, we have this whole Old Testament, 600-some laws that deal with every specific sin. You do this, you offer, you know, you pigeon sacrifice a pigeon or a lamb or, or whatever. And we got this big building called the temple sitting on top of the Temple Mount. And, and so we've got the, the sin thing covered. We don't need a, a a Messiah for that. And probably some of you and probably some of your family and friends are thinking the same thing. You know, I, I don't need saving from my sin. I need saving from my algebra teacher. You know, or I need saving from my wicked boss or my job I hate. Or I need saving from a, from a, a nasty spouse or nasty parent or out-of-control kids. Or I need saving from from uh, some bad habit i have right i need saving from my financial crisis but i don't need saving from my sins and again i'm projecting joseph here you know what i think it's rome who needs to be saved from their sins they're the bad guys in the story right they're the one that are oppressing us and taxing us and controlling us and enslaving us rome needs to be saved from their sins what we need is saving from Rome, right? We need a Messiah to come and set us free, get rid of the oppressors. So we need a Savior with a sword, right? And every Jew expected the Messiah to come with a sword, to throw out the oppressors and set the captives free. Now let me just talk a little bit about when God talks to you. We all project this idea of, you know, if God's talking to me, I'm going to talk back, ask Him questions. But the truth is, if God truly talks to you, you're not going to say a word. Neither am I. Kind of picture Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, if you're in God's presence, your face is going to melt, right? You're not going to be there asking questions or or arguing with God. And when God speaks... He doesn't stutter and stammer and it be confusing. When God speaks, you understand. In fact, this is a little uncomfortable, but when God speaks, it really gets, does away with free will. It's kind of like this. My, I'm, my free will is to stick my hand in fire. Well, how long is my free will going to keep that hand in fire? Not very long. And so my free will... Encountering God, it, it disappears, and we see that in Joseph. It's pretty fascinating, really. So when Joseph wakes up, what's he do? Oh, God, I don't know about this. I'm not. I, I, I want a Messiah that's going to get rid of the Romans. I don't want a Messiah gives me, you know, save me from my sins. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. This crazy woman, I'm supposed to marry? Her? No pushback, what all, what for, whatever. Because God said, even though he was in a dream, he was absolutely sure God had spoken and he had no other option but to do exactly what God said. Now, as fascinating as, as this is, for some of us who have been in church for a long time, and if you haven't, we're glad that you're here, but this story doesn't really move us very much, does it? Even the part about saving us for our sin doesn't really move us. We've heard it over and over and over. Saved from our sins, yeah. And I think this is the problem. I'm going to try and put my finger on the problem. And this is it. When we hear saved from our sins, here's what we really think. Because he will forgive us or forgive his people for their sins. That's what we think. So I, I, I summarize it this way. We kind of reduce Christmas down to forgiveness. This idea, nobody's perfect and God forgives me. We get in this cycle. Nobody's perfect, I mess up, God forgives me. That's nice, that's good, but, you know, it's kind of a a cycle. But Christmas is so much bigger and better than I mess up and God forgives me. So Jesus came to save our people from their sins, or we might add the word, from the power of, of sin. Remember Yeshua was a conqueror king, a fighting king, a power against another power. Jesus has an encounter in John chapter 8. It's just a fascinating very emotional story where the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus and they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and he's right there at the steps of the of the of the temple. And uh, they say, "Ah, uh, Jesus, the Old Testament law says we should stone this woman. I always wonder where the guy is, right? He should get the same penalty, but he's not there. And Jesus knows it's a trap, and Jesus also knows that you can't do that. You especially can't do it at the temple. And so he, he plays along, right? And so he says, "Ah, oh, any of you without sin, you can throw the first stone. And the Bible says, the story says... John is writing it, says that the oldest the youngest walked away. I'm getting kind of old, and somebody asked me that. Yeah, yeah, I can't cast any stone. I've screwed up enough times in my lifetime. Uh, I certainly can't condemn this person. So everybody goes away, and Jesus says, "Uh, where are your condemners? And she said, they're all gone. And then the next part, most of us know. In fact, a lot of people know, but then there's a part that most people don't know. The part where everybody knows is Jesus says what? Neither do I condemn you. Basically, he says, I forgive you, right? Everybody knows that part. But then Jesus says something else. What does he say next? Go and sin no more. Stop doing it. Stop doing stuff that harms you and harms other people. It's not what's, what's good for you. Now, here's my question for you Is that possible? Let me kind of simplify because most of us live long enough it seems like it's impossible, right? Let me simplify it this way and say it this way. Is it possible to say no to sin? Jesus one time is doing this teaching a little later John's recording it for us in John chapter 10 he says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. Some people apply that to Satan but I don't think you need to. That's what thieves do, Right? But he says, me, Jesus, Yeshua, my purpose is to give you or them a rich and satisfying or abundant life. That sounds a lot better or bigger than I mess up and God forgives me, right? The way this lady was going to have a satisfying, rich, or abundant life was to get out of uh, committing adultery. That wasn't a, a satisfying life. So it's much more than Forgiveness of. But freedom from. The power of. Now the best place to describe this. That I know of. In the Bible. Is something Paul wrote. Now Paul was this religious guy. Jewish guy. uh, Pharisee. knew the Bible backwards. Old Testament backwards and forward, And he was passionate about Judaism. In fact he tried to. Wipe out the Christians. Until he came a Jesus follower. And then he used his knowledge. And his. He's a really smart guy, and he used his passion to start churches and, and tell people about Jesus. Now, let me ask you a simple question because this is going to be written in a form of a command. Does it make sense that God would command you and I to do something you couldn't do? It would be like me saying, I command you to fly. No, that's idiotic. God's not going to command you and I to do something we can't do. So, preface this by saying, this is written as a command, not a suggestion, okay? Romans chapter six. In fact, the whole book of Romans is just so deep and (laughs) full of wisdom. And uh, Paul is a lot smarter guy than I am. Do not let sin control the way you live. Again, this is a command. Don't do it. Do not give in to sinful desires. Which means what? You can not give in. All right, he explains a little bit deeper, a little bit more. Do not, let any part of your body become an instrument to be able to serve sin. So, you know, I, I keep my hands out of trouble, but my eyes get at me in trouble, or vice versa, or my ears, or whatever. He said, uh, keep it all. Instead, you have an option. Give yourself completely God. I give myself completely God, I can't give in to sin, right? Kind of contradictions. For you were dead, before you come a Jesus follower, you're described as dead. Dead meaning you have no power. Dead things have no power, right? So you have no power to resist sin because you're dead. But now that you have a new life as a Jesus follower, now part of this life is the power, this tremendous power, to not sin, to not give in. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right to the glory of God. Then he makes it pretty simple in the next verse. He says this, sin is no longer your master. You don't have to do what it says. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what does that mean? Let's just kind of simplify it. We all have two of us, don't we? The old cartoons, they put an angel on one shoulder and a... Devil on the other shoulder, right? And we all deal with this all the time, right? I know I should shouldn't eat that, but I really want to eat that. Uh, I know I shouldn't go there, but I really want to go there. You know, I I I I, I don't want to say that, but I shouldn't say that, but I really want to say that. I mean, we do this all the time, don't we? There's two of us, and that's what he's basically saying. But as a Jesus follower, what Christmas means is you no longer have to say yes to the little demon guy. You can say yes to the angel. It's no longer your master. It's pretty simple, right? So whenever we say, I couldn't resist it, I couldn't help myself, that's not true. (laughs) Because you've been commanded and you've been empowered to be able to say no. In fact, I kind of have fun doing this sometimes. When I I realize Satan's tempting me, I said, (laughs) I know better. I don't have to do that. You ever try it sometimes? It's kind of fun. (laughs) And then we get to this kind of famous verse. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard this before. It says, for the wages of sin is death. We get the bad news first, then we get the good news, right? For the wages or the consequences of sin is death. So I'll just simplify it this way. Sin kills things. And you don't have to be a Jesus follower to understand this. We've all had sin kill things or our mistakes and the bad things we've done kill things. Some of you have had a marriage killed. Some of you had your reputation killed. Some of you had your finances killed. Some of you had your relationship with other people killed. And sin even kills forgiven things, doesn't it? Didn't heal that marriage, didn't heal that financial, even though God forgave you. So that's the bad news. Sin kills things. What's the good news? But the free gift of God, and it's interesting, we put the word free with gift. Gifts are supposed to be free. We're going to get a bunch of them tomorrow, right? Maybe some tonight. All right. But it seems too good to be true, so we kind of tack that word free on there and make sure people understand. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let me ask you a simple question. When does eternal life start? Now, kind of, uh, we kind of, without thinking about it, we just say, oh, when I die, right? Uh-uh-uh. When does the eternal life start? When did you not be dead anymore? When you stepped across the line and became a Jesus follower, right? So that's when eternal life starts. So I call this the three Ps. Jesus came to deliver us from the three Ps. Kind of old, some of you heard this before. The penalty of sin, that's the thing we talk about all the time, right? He saved us from the penalty. He died on the cross for my sin. I don't have to die. When I die, I get to go to heaven. So he saved me from the penalty of sin. We talk about that all the time. But what we're talking about today is what? Jesus came to deliver us from what? The power of sin. I can say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. I'm not going to do that. Or, yeah, I should do that. I'm going to do that. All right? I have the power. He's delivered me from the power of sin. I don't have to give in to sin anymore. And then, of course, the third P is the presence of sin. When we die on this earth, we're going to go to live eternally in God's presence. It won't be sin anymore, it won't be any more temptation. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) All right? So that's the gospel. The three Ps of the gospel. That's Christmas. Every day, you and I, that Jesus followers, should get up and say, thank you, God, that I'm delivered. I'm free. Set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus paid for it. I'm set free from the power of sin. I don't have to give in to temptation. And someday, I'm going to be in your presence and be delivered from the presence of sin. Now, Kind of reminded me of the story of The Wizard of Oz. Everybody's seen The Wizard of Oz, right? Be a really short movie if, you know, the house falls on the Wicked Witch of the East, I think, right? And what happens is the slippers go from her to Dorothy, right? The ruby red red slippers. Then we get this long, you know, story and adventure. She meets all these interesting people. and The wizard, and she goes on this pilgrimage, comes back to the wizard, finally finds out the wizard's just a guy, and the guy says... All you have to do is clip your your heels together three times and you'd be back in Kansas. If somebody had told her that at the beginning of the movie, then it would be over, right? So maybe somebody needed to tell you the three Ps of Christmas. You're not only saved from the penalty of sin, you're also saved from the power of sin and one day from the presence of sin. So, simplify here at the end. Sin, if you're Jesus follower, sin is not your master. And if you're caught in that trap of, uh, you know, I mess up, God forgives me, I mess up, God forgives me, that cycle, uh, you don't have to be. Whether some, you know, addiction, or bad habit, or some broken relationship, you and I just need to agree with Paul wrote said, sin, you're no longer my master. I don't have to give in to you. And that could cause us to shout, shouldn't it? I don't have to be a slave to sin. It doesn't have to master me. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, again, we are so delighted that you're here. We kind of organize stuff around here for people like you. But if you're not, here's what I'd like to say to you this morning as we finish. Sin doesn't have to be your master. So let me just ask you a simple question. Are you fed up with being a slave to sin, are you fed up with self-destructive behavior that you can't break? Remember, this is God's grace. This is a free gift to you. If you accept it, you are empowered to be able to say no to self-destructive behavior. So, who needs Christmas? The world needs Christmas. God needed Christmas to demonstrate how much He loves us, and you and I need Christmas. So we understand that we're saved from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of sin. So let's finish with the, the main verse here. You you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So let's pray. (coughs) Father God, thank you. We thank you for Christmas. Thank you that you were concerned from the world. You were concerned for demonstrating your love to us, and you were concerned about us having a personal relationship with you and and dealing with this problem of sin. And, and uh, we thank you that you took care of it. It's a free gift to us. So I want to pray, especially for anyone, God, here this morning that has never stepped across that line, that they would be the day. They'd be fed up. They'd be tired of that self-destructive behavior. At least give it a try. Just, j- you don't have to know a lot. It doesn't matter what you've done. Just step across that line and say, I'm going to try and fo- start following Jesus and see how it goes. Um, you won't be disappointed. Uh, for most of us here are Jesus followers God we just thank you for what Jesus did not only at Christmas but at Easter at the cross that he conquered death for us and we thank you in, in Jesus name Amen